It's the first Monday of the month. It's the first Monday of the year, and we're responding to questions from the listening community. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 389. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. Once a month, normally the first Monday of the month, we respond to questions that come in from the listening community. Dialogue with you is a key component of what Coaching for Leaders is about. And responding to the things you're thinking about is something that we aim to do on a fairly regular basis. And most months, I am joined by my wife, Bonnie Stahoviak, who uh, tackles many of these questions with me. And last year, we had a uh, guest on the Q&A episode for the first time, Tom Henschel, my pal from the Look and Sound of Leadership podcast. Uh, For those of you who don't know Tom, he has been hosting the Look and Sound of Leadership for, oh gosh, almost a decade now. And he is joining me this month as well, stepping in for Bonnie to uh, help me respond to some of the questions that have come in. Tom, I am so glad to welcome you back. Thanks a lot. I'm glad to be back. One of the great blessings I have had of hosting the show since 2011 is getting to know you. Every time you're on the show, so many people reach out to me and mention how helpful your thoughts are. So thank you so much for just being a wonderful guide to so many of us. And I think this is your ninth or 10th appearance on the show. I've kind of lost track over all this time. And it's been great. I mean, and your audience is fantastic. So I'm always delighted to be here. Well, speaking of audience, let's uh, let's see if we can tackle some of the questions that folks are wondering about. So our first one comes in from Caroline. Caroline wrote and said, a new colleague has been quite confrontational with his lobbying of me to recruit someone he used to work with. I've done some behind-the-scenes research and discovered that they are friends. He's emailed me about this person and pulled me into a meeting room to tell me I should at least interview this person. From prior contact with this person, I know they are looking for a leadership position and don't feel that they are genuinely committed to taking on the position currently available on my team. I suspect that he wants an in to our department and then will actively start looking for a leader position once he's gained a permanent position. My boss is very keen on my peer leader and has him assisting me with some work as my workload is quite high at the moment. I'm wondering if you have any advice on how to deal with a peer who is aggressive about marketing himself and lobbying for his friends whilst undermining my position. I myself am sort of the person who believes in getting the team culture and basics right before launching into the glitz and glamour. Tom, when you think about this question from Caroline, what lands with you? Two questions come up for me, Caroline, when I read this email of yours. The first question is, how do you want to show up? You can't control your peer, right? I mean, but you can control you. And I don't know how you want to show up because you can show up as willing or you can show up as unwilling. So here's a question that I have for you. This is still part of the question of how do you want to show up? Why would you not give the person an interview? Now, you don't have to hire the person. And by the way, Dave, I'm going to be curious to see if you support this because maybe this is is not a great idea. But Carolyn, really, truly, What if you gave that person an interview? What have you got to lose? I think there's actually a bunch of benefits that you could have. Number one is you would keep peace with your peer 
right? You would build alliances, you'd build goodwill. That's a good thing. You say that your boss is quite keen on your peer. Wouldn't it be nice if your peer were speaking well of you to your boss? And wouldn't it in general just be good for you to be seen as willing as opposed to an obstacle? So all of that is one question that I have about how do you want to show up and why not give the person an interview? The second question that I have for you is, I'm going to now just, I'm going to make it as a statement rather than a question. As I read your email, Caroline, my sense is you have many stories that you have made up. You've made up stories about your peer, stories about your boss, stories about this third person who we don't know about. And I don't know whether you know that you have made up stories. Just as one example, you say you've done research and found out their friends as if somehow that's a problem. That's it's the way you've written it. It makes it sound like you think somehow this is a problem, but I just kind of wonder and go, look, you know, most people get their jobs through their friends. I mean, we all get our jobs through our contacts, right? That's appropriate. Wouldn't you want your friends to be advocating for you? So I don't know where the story is that makes you do this research and think this is something negative. So there's that's one of the things I would love to talk more about is these stories that I question, I wonder about. And do you know that you have them? It's not that you have them. We all have stories that we make up. I just don't know whether you know you have stories. So that's where I start with those two questions. Dave, what, what comes to your mind for Caroline? I was going down the same line of thinking as you. I agree with everything you said. And I did have that thought of what would be the reason I wouldn't interview someone else if one of my peers had come to me and said, hey, I've got a great person, which by the way, has happened to me before and I think happens to a lot of leaders on a pretty regular basis. And the only answer I could come up with around that is if there was some expectation or some political situation within the organization where if you interviewed someone, there was some expectation that someone was going to jump in and immediately suggest that you hire that person, particularly if you didn't have any other good candidates that were emerging through the process. And my guess is in most organizations, that's probably not the case, that there's probably more to lose by not doing an interview. But perhaps that's the case here, Caroline. So if that's the case for you, maybe you do think twice about it. But I'm, I'm with you, Tom, on this. I don't think that there's a lot to lose by interviewing someone. And I've certainly seen this happen a whole bunch where yeah. some, someone... It was recommended and like, well, you know, it's not necessarily the person I would have interviewed, but they are someone my boss recommended or a peer recommended and, and whatever, you know, I'll bring them in and interview them. And I'm, sometimes it even works out. You never know. So the interesting thing, though, as I was going through that line of thinking, Tom, about this was thinking the real thing that I would probably zero in on is what other great candidates do I have? Because... If this is the only good candidate you have, yeah, I could see how that could potentially get you into hot water politically if you didn't have any other options and you didn't want to hire this person. So if that's a concern, my thought would be go out and find other great candidates because that's something, of course, you want to be doing anyway, so you're interviewing the best people. But I think this if there's some concern about not bringing in someone, the best antidote to that is to have two or three other people that you've identified who came in and were stellar and you really like and you think are going to serve the organization well, and you've got a lot of evidence through the interview process to back that up, 
that's in addition to doing the interview, that's probably where I'd want to put my attention is to find as many other good candidates as I could to consider for the role. I want to throw one more thing out there. Caroline, I want to be clear that you may feel like interviewing this person is a kind of capitulation. You you say that your peer is undermining your position. I, I don't understand how that would be true, but I understand that that's how you feel. And I want to be sure that you hear from me that you don't have to like what your peer is doing. I just don't know why you would choose to be oppositional with your peer. Your peer is doing what your peer is doing. You cannot control that. It goes back to my first question, which is, how do you want to show up? You know, I was thinking about something in relation to that, Tom. There were so many times earlier in my career that I dismissed people and ideas because I didn't like up the person that they were coming from. Mm. Well, we all do that, right? Yeah. And I've really noticed just in my own career what a difference it's made when I'm just able to separate those things. Because I'm, I'm here, I'm getting a sense from this question from Caroline of like, there's some distrust with this person, maybe not even liking this person. When I've been able to just kind of put that in a box and set that aside and say, okay, you know, I don't really care for this person. I don't like them. It's not the person I would hang out with on the weekend. And yet they may bring something to me, an idea, a lesson, a connection, something that would be really valuable, not only for me, but for our organization. I've found that to be so helpful and useful. And just being able to mentally put those in different boxes has been really helpful to me over the years. And sometimes the best learning I've had have been from the people that I wouldn't have in a million years thought of be the person where it would come from. Mm. Well, and it goes back to the idea of bias, right? That bias means that it's difficult for us to see the truth because of the beliefs of ours that are in the way. And to me, that you just described that perfectly. Well, I hope this is helpful to you, Carolina. Let us know what you decide to do and yeah. what was yeah, what was useful. I'd love to hear, and I know Tom would too. Let's see if we can tackle the next question here from Jane. Jane writes, I'm about to recruit three new members for my team, wondering whether or not you can provide some suggestions about team diversity. The majority of my current team members have worked in the same environment for a long time. They're experienced and very technically specialized. And the majority of them are introverts at different degrees. I respect them on their integrity and accountability, but want to prompt flexibility, stepping out of comfort zones, and trying different ways of doing things. Now I need to recruit three new members. So I'm thinking, what are the attributes I should look for from the candidates to help my current team be more diverse and also stimulate the team to grow? Well, thanks for the question, Jane. So I guess the first thing that comes up for me is what you really want from a standpoint of diversity, uh, like Stephen Covey challenged us to do in his book, The Seven Habits Highly Effective People, is begin with the end in mind. So the thing I'm most curious about from this question is, what are you trying to achieve? And you mentioned that your team is, it sounds like fairly homogeneous as far as probably have some similar skill sets, similar personality types. And uh, I'm curious what's what's behind the desire to really diversify more. And of course, there's so many different ways we could go with the word diversity. So perhaps you're thinking about that through the lens of uh, racial or ethnic diversity or age diversity. I get the sense that's not the case from the context of your question, that you're thinking a little bit more from different personalities and how people think about situations and flexibility coming in. And so I'm curious what's driving that. Is there something new 
that's emerging for you and for your organization over the next year or two that would precipitate some different kinds of personalities in the organization. And then, you know, depending on what that is, I'd, I'd want to get clear on that first of like, what does that look like over the next two to three years? Where do you want the team to be as far as skill sets, as far as preferences, as far as things like flexibility? What are you trying to achieve? And then I think that that probably elicits some of those things you're looking for that may or may not be part of your team today. One tool that I found helpful, and I know many in our listening community have, that may be helpful of just putting language around that is the Strengths Finder tool. Many teams and leaders have found that going through that process of just um, naming different strengths within the organization and even looking at it from a team perspective is often helpful not only to emerge what strengths are already there and to give language to them, which I think is what's really amazing about StrengthsFinder is it, it allows us to put a word to those strengths, but it also can be really helpful in emerging what strengths are not present in the team. And if you have a very different kind of statement of work or, or project that's going to be emerging in the next two to three years, and the strengths that that would speak to are not strengths that you have on your team, then I think that that is a really interesting path for how you then go to find people who are good at those things. On a practical level, whatever you've done previously, if you're trying to emerge a different kind of person and and attract a different kind of person in the organization, you know, one place to start is just in the hiring process and thinking about how you do things differently. So if you have always brought in people one particular way, looking at different ways to bring in people is certainly one place to start. If you've never used a headhunter, maybe that's something to consider. If you've never reached out to certain associations in your industry, perhaps that's a place to consider that you may find the people that are different than the people who your organization has traditionally attracted. Uh, Tom, mm-hmm. when, when you read this, what comes up for you? Well, I just want to say that last idea you had, that's a great idea. I had not thought of that. That's excellent. I, I want to build on something you said. You talked about the strengths profile. I would like to suggest one degree different from that, which is strengths-based leadership, which uses the strengths 2.0 assessment, but will allow you to create a kind of grid to see where the clusters of strengths are. In other words, if everybody buys strengths-based leadership as a book, Everybody can create one team profile. It's kind of fun. But I'm echoing what you've already said, Dave. I want to add a a, a little texture to what Dave said. Jane, you know, I'm with Dave around, yes, it might be about race, it might be about gender, it might be about age, that kind of diversity. But recently, I worked with a tax team inside of a big corporation, and I was did a retreat with them, and we did the DISC behavioral assessment with them. And not surprisingly, they clustered in one quadrant. And it felt appropriate to me, but I asked the team, is this a good thing for you or not a good thing for you? And I prompted the conversation, and they talked about it and decided that, no, actually, it was helpful because what the corporation needed from them because of their function that profile was actually helpful. So now I'm going back to what Dave said, which is diversity, why? Diversity, because maybe 
you're going to, are these three new team members going to be doing different things? I also heard you saying that you have a concern about people just kind of being stuck in their thinking that they've been there a long time and they're experienced and they're specialized. My sense is that you want some new blood, new ideas, new thinking. And I just want to suggest that you might then shake things up in the same way that Dave I, uh, suggested shaking things up about the actual recruiting of the candidates. You might start shaking up how you do your team meetings. If, for example, what if you started rotating the team leadership in the meeting, something like that, where you just do things differently. So whether the new people show up and are different or not, get the team to be a little bit more flexible. That's my thought. Well, I'm so glad you said that because I think that's what got me thinking about beginning with the end in mind of what are you trying to achieve, Jane? And I, I have a master's degree, Tom, in uh, spending a lot of time solving problems that I don't have um, <laughs> over the years. <laughs> and so uh, and I, and I, I see this trend with a lot of leaders of we, for whatever reason, we come to a conclusion of like, oh, I need to do this differently or better. And there may or may not really be a reason to do that. And by the way, Tom and I are huge believers in diversity, all other things being equal, having oh, yeah. more age, gender, uh, ethnic diversity within our teams is brilliant, is a brilliant move for leaders. And, and more leaders need to be thinking about that and be conscious of that. And we should also be thinking, looking at our existing teams and saying, if I'm going to make a very specific strategic change to the composition of my team, does that serve the long-term objective? And so I think that's coming up for both of us, Jane, of just you know being mindful of that. And if it does, great. You know, then there's uh, there's some there's some great paths to go down to think about how you change different personality types. I, I love the example of the uh, accounting team, Tom. I think that's that's perfect. Final comment, Jane. And again, I'm going to echo what Dave said, which is good for you. I really cheered and celebrated when I read this email. Mm. I'm glad diversity is on your radar. I'm glad for the way you're thinking about it. Bravo. It's good. Keep going. All right. Let's tackle our next question here from Susan. Susan wrote in and said, I was promoted into my current role as a health center manager two years ago. The culture here is one of rigidity, legacy, and unwillingness to change and grow, something I was advised of on my arrival. My last two roles have been ones of implementing change management with reasonable success. About half of the staff commonly spout, that's not my job, threaten to quit or go on stress leave, and say that's not how it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. I'm not changing what I do, which does not align with our advancing technologies. Unfortunately, I do not hold the delegation or authority to transition staff. Despite attempts to implement positive changes throughout collaborative engagements, increasing training and professional development opportunities, driving innovation from the bottom up, team building activities, increasing ownership and accountability within the team, along with a level of decision-making, the team only appear more discontent, apathetic, and disengaged. With multiple complaints of my poor leadership and management, the journey thus far has been emotionally exhausting. Key middle management staff have indicated that I'm the first person in many years to hold people to account, to challenge people to grow outside of their comfort zone, and be willing to share decision-making to implement change. And this is probably why the pushback exists. I'm now at a complete loss. What strategies do you recommend to generate positivity, team cohesion, 
and enhance adaptability within a dynamic environment with a team that appears reluctant to engage. Tom, my heart just breaks for Susan reading this question when it came Me in. Me too. Yeah, yeah, it's such a tough situation. Uh, what are you thinking? Many things. First off, it's funny, Dave and I, you and I seem to start in the same place all the time, which is I read, Susan, that it's emotionally exhausting. It sounds it, and I'm sorry. Two questions came up for me about your story, and they're questions that if you and I were talking, I think would help us really figure out what the next steps are going to be for you. One question that I had is, it sounds like you're relatively new. It doesn't sound like you've been there for five or 10 years. When you were brought in, what were you asked to do? Were you asked to create change? I mean, at one point you talk about aligning with advancing technologies. Is that something you're supposed to be doing? Because at the moment, I also hear that you have multiple complaints about your leadership and management. So what were you asked to do? Because listen, if you were asked to create change, then I think you probably, I hope you're being protected by senior leaders. But if that's not what your role was, you're just doing that because that's what your last two roles were, is that this is your style, then I'm concerned that you may not get protected by your senior leadership. Again, one of the pieces of evidence you provide for us is that you were told when you came in that the culture has a resistance to change. So did they tell you that because it was a guardrail and they were saying, don't go there? Or were they telling you that because they were saying, look, this is a real challenge, Susan, go for it. We really want you to do it. I, I can't tell whether it was your mandate or not. So that's one question that I have is, what were you hired to do? The second question that I have is, what if people started quitting? What if you had really high turnover for a year? Would that be a win? Would that be seen as a good thing? People aren't changing, so you keep pushing change, so they leave because they're uncomfortable? If so, I go, great. I mean, really, if you have to rebuild the team, rebuild the team. I want to say to you, communicate a hundred times more than you think you need to, just over and over and over, and educate yourself. I'm going to guess that Dave and I would both talk about the John Cotter books, but I would also mention Winning Them Over by Jay Conger. I would talk about Who Moved My Cheese by Spencer Johnson, and I would talk about Influence by Robert Cialdini. Get yourself educated about change and resistance. Those are my first thoughts. What about you, Dave? Yeah, you you hit on something that was really present for me reading this question. The when I got to the end of this question after thinking about, you know, what a what a tough situation to be in, the question that came up for me is, where's senior leadership in this question? You know, you say so much in detail about your team Susan, the situation, your background, but there's not any mention of what is the leadership in the organization doing or not doing to support you. And well, the, can I jump in on that day? Yeah, she sure. does say that she does say that key managers have noticed what she's doing. What I can't tell is whether they've noticed it and said good for you or noticed it and say stop that. I, I yeah. I'm assuming that they've noticed and are supportive, but I also don't know if those people can really be her champions and protect her. Yeah, I, I I was wondering about that too. And and the other sentence that was interesting to me is that I don't hold the delegation authority to transition staff. And that's where I come back to what you said, Tom, of what was what's the mandate? Is the senior team um, or whoever you're reporting to, are they gung-ho about you affecting change? Do they want to see this happen? Are they supportive of you? 
are they rallying for you and giving you positive reinforcement? Or are they potentially just espousing that, but not in practice really providing much support, which certainly happens? Or is there really not any direction at all? And that's the thing, Susan, that I would be, gosh, if I were you, that would be the thing I would spend some time dwelling on of where is senior leadership on this? Are they really supportive of you making these changes? Are they ready and willing to give you the authority to do so? If they are, and this is just a matter of timing to Tom's point, and there's some people that need to exit the organization, and and you're the person that's been called in to kind of clean house a bit and to set expectations and to hold people accountable if that's not been done before, then gosh, you know, what a tough situation to be in and what important work for you to do for them mm. and for the organization. And there will be people that will not like it and will exit, of course, but you bring them a wonderful gift, especially since you've done this with some success in prior roles, as you mentioned. If you can help them to make that change, that's a wonderful gift. Difficult, yes, but a wonderful gift. The thing I worry about perhaps more, though, is if that's not the case, if senior leadership really doesn't want that, or if they've perhaps espoused it a bit, but aren't really willing to invest in you, support you, to give the authority you need, then the only real outcome that happens with this then is you getting frustrated and disengaged and spending a lot of time and energy of putting into something that's not likely to change. Well, um, and she could be painted as a troublemaker. Indeed, indeed. I mean, gosh, if there's anything I've learned in all these years of uh, organizational behavior and consulting and coaching is if you're trying to move something in an organization and senior leadership isn't with you, you are in for a really difficult ride and often a ride on the way out because you end up spending tons of time and energy trying to move something that's not going to move without the support of senior leadership. And it's so, so frustrating. And so, and if that's the case, Susan, then I think you have a decision to make of, am I willing to be the person who steps back a bit and says, okay, this is not the organization or the time that people are willing to make change. And I step back and maybe there's some things you do, but I just accept that. And perhaps I espouse some of the things that everyone else is espousing when the times are right. And I look for the opportunities to make small incremental change. But I realize that this isn't this isn't an organization that's ready to move, and you just decide you're okay with that, or you decide this isn't the right place for me, and they're not ready. And I don't I I don't know if either of those are are the right answer or not for you. I think it just depends on you. But I think knowing where the organization is and whether there's a ready is so key because then you're aligned with what is likely to happen given the support and politics within the organization. Well said. Susan, I hope this is helpful to you in some way. Please let us know what lands with you and what you decide to do next. Uh, you know, Tom, with so many of these things we tackle with leadership and so many of the questions of leadership, it's for me, it's not even about what's the right answer, it's what's the next step. And mm -hmm. and if mm -hmm. and Susan, let us know what next step you decide to take once you have a chance to to consider this. Let's see if we can tackle our next question here from Mariah. Mariah writes, I have the privilege of working for a large healthcare system. My role is a manager, and my areas of accountability include oversight of a large group of centralized schedulers in a call center type setting, a large group of centralized referral specialists, 
and a small group of IT analysts. While our organization has a pretty good new leader orientation training program, it does not offer anything for leads, a step below supervisor. I would like to create my own program to help develop leadership skills in our leads. I want them to have the skills to lead their peers without having authority over them, as well as to help them develop into great future supervisor candidates when our current supervisors grow into managerial roles. Are you aware of any resources I could utilize in the development of this type of program? Mariah, thank you so much for this question. I love that you are thinking about this and thinking about ways that you can begin to create a framework for people to emerge into this role and, and, and hopefully support their success into the next role as supervisors. So what would I do? Gosh, there's so many different ways that I could go on this, and I'm, I'm curious what Tom, Tom thinks too. First of all, I, I'd probably err on the side of doing something that's really simple and practical versus trying to put together an author or set to, set a curriculum together for an entire training program. You may get to that point, but I'd, I'd start with something really practical because you may find out that just doing a couple of key practical things may get you to the goal you want, which is getting people on this development path. And even if that's not enough, what you'll learn by doing a few small steps at the beginning will then inform making the program better later. So here's where I'd start is get clear on what are the competencies for the lead position. And you may know those now, or you may not, but a starting point would be what the competencies are your organization has identified for at the supervisor level. What are the four or five or six key things that supervisors need in order to be successful in their roles? I'm assuming your organization has probably done a bit of that since there is an existing new leader program. That And, and if there isn't, if that's not explicitly there, you could probably go into that curriculum and you know, those things will emerge pretty quickly just by looking at what topics are focused on in the, that program. And you could map that to four or five key competencies that you want leads to do a good job with and thinking about that role in that position and how it's different than being a supervisor. What can they get good at now that will set them up for success in the current role, but also down the road? And then it would be fun to spend some time with folks who are in those lead roles now in determining what's interesting to them to work on around one of those competencies. And I would I would say you don't maybe even worry so much about what competencies they're good at or not good at right now, and perhaps just give them agency to zero in on the competency that's most interesting to them, given that this isn't yet a formal uh, supervisor role of knowing that they're going to get benefit from working on any of them, you give them some agency to get started on getting better at something they're good at or enhancing something they're not good at. And that's where having a few career conversations with people can be helpful. If you want to really go all in on that, Russ Lairway presented a great model last year on the show on career conversations, and I'll link to that in the show notes. But I don't think you have to go that far. It could be as simple as having a conversation with each of your leads and saying, hey, here's our four or five or six competencies. I'm working as a leader to help everyone in our organization to get better at these who are in the lead role. And let's talk about which one we can zero in on together over the next 60, 90 days to help you get better at. And then pick one of those. And them work together to pick what's an initial action that you could take 
that if they do consistently over the next 60, 90 days, whatever the time frame is, that you can do some coaching and some informal feedback on. And if you're looking for some inspiration on that, Morton Hansen and James Clear were both on the show last year. They both talked about behavior change and setting new habits. I think there's some wonderful practical tools in both of those conversations, which I'll link to on just getting people started. So if you just start there with one of those actions over that time frame, and then do some check-ins and some coaching with people, that would be probably better than the vast majority of leaders are doing in development, especially with folks that are at the non-manager level. Yeah. And, and if you start there, I think that'd be great. And then you'll figure out what makes sense next. So Tom, what, what comes up for you? Mariah, I just want to say, you've written this email to two people who specialize in leadership development, right? So you're <laughs> going to get a lot of information. I mean, you've really hit our sweet spot. We can't shut up. So uh, I've got two considerations and two recommendations. My considerations are really going to be parallel to Dave's. They're not the same, but they are very similar. Here's one thing to consider. Consider how adults learn. Adults learn over time. Adults learn by self-teaching. Adults learn through application and reflection. Give them that opportunity. So that's number one to consider. Consider how adults learn when you think about the opportunities that you're going to give them. Like, for example, create a book club. Create a discussion group. Get them to talk about what they want to learn to be good candidates for their next job. I mean, get them engaged. That's consideration number one. Number two... I think you need to ask, if you're going to do this, how does the group want to hold itself accountable for its own development so that it's not just, you know, fun get together, but really like, how are we going to create new habits? How are we going to change? So those are the considerations. How do adults learn and how will you hold each other accountable? And then recommendations. Listen, you could do something incredibly simple. Go to Dave's podcasts, right? Go to coaching for leaders. Pick a podcast, have everybody listen to it, come together, talk about it, or get a book, break it down. Usually the kind of books we're talking about, I think in this instance, about how to be a better manager, I think often in the just the table of contents, they've already broken it down for you. Pick one chapter and have a conversation about that chapter. Two books that you might use are Being the Boss by Linda Hill and First Break All the Rules by Marcus Buckingham. Those are great books that you could use, where again, you don't have to build this yourself. Those might be resources that you could have. But here's a completely different recommendation, Mariah. Think about this. What would you think in your big healthcare system if you reached up to senior people that you already know or people, senior people that you want to know and you went to coffee with them or went to lunch with them and you asked them what they think leads should have. Engage the senior people in that conversation and let those senior people see you creating a program. Let those senior people see you thinking about you developing your people. I think that would be great. Plus, then you could come back to your team, your folks, and say, here's what senior leaders think you should be all working on, let's work on it together. I think that would be a blast.
Thank you so much, Tom. Several related episodes to today's conversation, if you found it helpful. Uh, One of them is episode 273, Essentials of Adult Development. Earlier, Tom mentioned his colleague, Mindy Dana, and Mindy was my guest on that episode talking about the different stages of adult development, a very helpful framework to be thinking about as a leader as you are coaching, helping people to develop, and thinking about where different people land on those stages. Episode 273 will be helpful to you if you found some interest there. Also valuable will be episode 320, how to leverage differences to accelerate results. Earlier, Tom talked about StrengthsFinder and particularly how StrengthsFinder can be used through the lens of leadership. In episode 320, our resident expert on StrengthsFinder, Lisa Cummings, talked about StrengthsFinder in detail and how you can utilize StrengthsFinder to be thinking about leadership and to be helping your team to be more effective. Uh, You'll find that episode extremely helpful, especially if you found that of interest or if you've been utilizing StrengthsFinder already and want to take it to the next step. Also helpful to you will be episode 337, Six Tactics to Achieve Extraordinary Performance. Morton Hansen was my guest on that episode that aired last year. It was probably one of the most commented on episodes that I've uh, heard from in the recent past. Uh, In that episode, Morton talked about some of the key research on how to change behavior, not only your own behavior, but the behavior of others. We have utilized a number of lessons from his research in the work in the Coaching for Leaders Academy. Again, that's episode 337. And then finally, how to become the person you want to be. James Clear was my guest on episode 376. So many people have reached out to me in recent months since that episode aired on how helpful that's been in thinking about new habits and setting goals. Uh, especially in the new year, if that is something that is top of mind for you right now and you want to make shifts. Episode 376 with James Clear, a very helpful starting point. You can reach all of those past episodes by going over to coachingforleaders.com. And if you haven't yet set up your free membership, you can activate it right there on the homepage at coachingforleaders.com. And it will give you access to all of those past episodes, searchable by topic. More importantly, it'll give you access to the entire free membership ecosystem, including my 10-day audio course, 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. If you'll give me 10 minutes a day for 10 days, it'll help you to get the most immediate practical actions to become a better leader, plus access to all of my book notes, all of the member casts, and everything else in the free membership archive. And you can get access again to all of that just by going over to coachingforleaders.com. And while you're online, if you aren't already, I'd suggest tuning in to Tom Henschel's podcast, The Look and Sound of Leadership. It's been going for almost a decade now. It is the only other leadership podcast that I listen to every single episode of. So check that out if you haven't already. And thanks again, Tom, for joining us today. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Mae Bush to the show. She is going to be showing us how to move from being a caretaker to becoming a rainmaker. An important shift for a lot of us to make in our organizations, especially as leaders. Join us next week for that conversation and to make that shift as well. Thank you so much for listening. Have a fabulous week and see you next Monday to talk about becoming a rainmaker. Take care.